Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to celebrate this day with you. Um, Sundays are such a formative day of worship for for our weeks, for our lives. And this Sunday, we focus our attention on the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at our text today from the Gospel of Mark, let me pray for us. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. So Ashley, my wife, and I have a friend of ours who has lived her whole life basically in America. She is an American, but she discovered in her late 30s that actually she was born in the UK. This was news to her. And as a result of having found out that she'd been born in the UK, she looked and found out that, in fact, she had citizenship there. What a wild thing to find out in your late 30s. So after a few months of planning, uh, she decided to go over there and live for several years because she could. She was a citizen. And Ashley and I had the opportunity to go visit her a few years back before our son was born, and we loved spending time with her. In fact, uh, when we put our pregnancy announcement back on Facebook, she was the one who took it. We were at Oxford, and and she invited us to tea time while we were in Oxford, uh, and we had something during tea time called clotted cream. Anybody else heard of clotted cream? I, I had not heard of clotted cream. I'm a bad Anglican, but uh, so, uh, clotted cream at tea time. Uh, and and I, you know, I didn't know what that was, but it was delicious. But what was funny is that, you know, after having not seen her for three years, she was now coming into this fully new identity as somebody who is from Britain. Um, she is an American, and she is British, and, and this new side of her I did not know. Uh, it's amazing how the knowledge of who she was and, and living into it actually framed uh, the decisions that she made, where she would live, and, and really changed, uh, from outward appearances, who we were experiencing. And today's passage is a passage of framing. I think of, of the, the baptism of Jesus Uh, as framing for the rest of the gospel in many ways. The whole first 15 verses of Mark are a frame for what comes next. And in today's passage, the ministry of Christ um, as the light of God, the Son of God, is revealed in a special way as uh, the first act of revelation as him as an adult. So we talk about Epiphany, uh, which happened yesterday. So the Feast of Epiphany is a day set aside in the church's calendar to focus on the glory of God being manifest to the Gentiles. And that's why it focuses on the Magi, who are these foreign, um, you know, learned people, rulers of some kind who come to offer uh, presents to our to the Messiah. But the important thing is that the glory of God is being revealed to 
not Israel, to the Gentiles. And so today is another manifestation of glory. It's that glory of God that is revealed in Jesus as an adult. It is a major moment of the glory of God revealed. And in fact, if you go to the eastern part of the church, uh, their whole epiphany is called theophany, and it's not based on the wise men. It's based on the baptism of Jesus. And so in the Gospel of Mark, these first 15 verses frame the rest of the gospel. And we hear of Jesus this morning coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. And so the glory of God is revealed. Immediately after his baptism, Jesus is driven out into the desert, into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And he's tried by Satan there. And John has been arrested. After that, Jesus takes up his ministry, beginning first in Galilee, proclaiming the good news that the kingdom of God is near. So they're supposed to repent and believe in the good news of the gospel. And those narratives in quick succession frame the whole gospel. Some have said that two of the major key words are, are desert and spirit that frame the gospel. And they only occur multiple times in those 15 verses and really not anywhere else in the gospel, but they frame it. And Jesus's baptism is so important because it initiates the kingdom of God. There's a lot of confusion about what the kingdom of God is, but it is initiated in Jesus's baptism and it frames the way that Jesus preaches. And so it also frames his suffering in, in a helpful way for us. It frames his suffering because his suffering is now something endured by somebody who is deeply loved by God. It says in the text, you know, in whom I delight, the father says to Jesus. Jesus' baptism sanctifies the waters of our baptism. And our own baptism firmly roots us as well in the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. And um, it roots us in the proclamation of the good news. That you and I also are beloved of God. There is a way in which when, the, when God says to the son, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is applied to you at your baptism because our Lord was baptized. And in you, God takes delight. So Jesus' baptism itself in the Gospel of Mark is only described briefly. It says he goes and he was baptized by John in the River Jordan. It's about it. And, and that's the first revelation of Jesus as the Son of God as an adult. Sorry, I said something before that I was going to say now, but that doesn't matter. But this is a, there is a mystery here in, in the baptism. In the way that Jesus' baptism both is and is a foretaste of his engagement with sin and with death and the devil. And, and that's going to carry on throughout his whole ministry, even to the cross. And so there is a way in which we need the glory revealed before we get to the season of Lent, where we go down the mountain on the way to the cross. This is a season of glory. Glory would be a good key word to have in the back of your minds for what epiphany uh, is, is about. And so one thing that you will see in the icons of epiphany or theophany is that Jesus is only partially submerged in the waters. And that's because, theologically speaking, Jesus is not baptized by creation, but all creation is baptized in Christ. And so we're made new in him when we are baptized. 
Christ rises victorious from the waters. And the text says that Jesus saw the heavens torn apart. And Christ sees the heavens open and the Holy Spirit's mentioned descending on Christ like a dove and a voice coming out from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. Jesus is now spoken of as Messiah from from earth by this prophetic voice of John the Baptist. And he's now spoken of as God's son from heaven, from the voice of the father. And God's declaration brings two really important passages together. When he says, you're my son, uh, my beloved, today I've begotten you. So it brings together Psalm 27. Psalm 27 says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. But it also brings together the passage that um, we read today for the Old Testament, which is Isaiah 42. And in Isaiah 42, 1, we have what's called uh, the servant song. One of the servant songs in Isaiah. And it says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. And so this servant in Isaiah 42 would quietly bring about justice in the earth. And in later servant songs, we discover that that servant was going to suffer on behalf of the people. And actually in that same chapter in Isaiah 42, that servant is called a light to the nations. And so you even have this prophecy of whoever this servant is going to be bringing the light of God to the nations and opening the eyes of the blind. So here the voice of the Father and the presence of the Spirit commissioned Jesus' public ministry. Um, Importantly, this is the commencement of God's kingdom, bringing together these two passages of Psalm 2, Isaiah 42. And this is the first act of the age to come. When you read language like that in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, the age to come, this is it. The kingdom of God is present in the life of Jesus the Messiah. And so here we see heaven's affirmation of it, such that from here on out, all of the acts that Jesus is doing are within the framework of the kingdom of heaven being brought to bear on creation. And so it can be tempting then to think that religion... um, is a private matter. But Jesus' kingship doesn't allow for that. Uh, We are all called to be actively engaged in the world, not to put our heads in the sand, uh, because we are ambassadors of the heavenly king. And Christ's mission is both cosmic and it's also political. It's also relational and personal. It's all those things. The kingdom of God is a subversive kind of empire. And there's this really neat juxtaposition in putting Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 42-1 together. Um, because one has a conquering king and one has a suffering servant. And those two things are brought together in the person of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, we show forth the rule and the reign of Christ. Not through partisanship, not through power, but through bringing forth justice in love with the humility of the mind of Christ. Because Isaiah 42 presents us with a nonviolent figure who brings about justice for the nations through this patient kind of faithfulness under the direction of the Spirit of God. A suffering Messiah would have been a paradox to the listeners uh, that John the Baptist was preaching to. People wouldn't have been comfortable with the idea of a suffering Messiah. But the Father's word to Jesus 
brings together that suffering servant and the cosmic king into one person in Jesus' baptismal inauguration of the kingdom. And you and I are all called into that uh, cosmic and subversively political ministry of Christ to bring God's justice with humility. The humility of this nonviolent figure in patient faithfulness under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's a good reminder for us to keep the mission of God first and foremost in our minds. Uh, In everything that we do as a church, it's the mission of God that goes before our eyes, that that we are baptized into. So I've heard stories, and I hope they're jokes, but I know that there's um, churches out there where there's at least a hint of truth to this, where, you know, a church might split over deciding, like, what color of the carpet to put in the sanctuary. I remember that being a big deal in a church I was in at one point. Didn't split it, thanks be to God. But, you know, these sorts of things can ruffle some feathers. But that, that's a church that's forgotten about mission in the kingdom of God. Like, and I'm all about aesthetics, right? We were just talking about this before the service. I love good aesthetics because I want them to draw us into the glory of God. But it really is all for nothing if people are not coming to know the love of God. uh, And they're not coming to see the kingdom of God when they get to know us. These things are formative. They're transformative. The glory of God is not static. The glory of God is transformative. And so often when I do um, grant writing for the church, one of the questions that are in these grant applications, there's always something like this. You know, what would be missing... If your church ceased to exist, it's a great question. What would be missing if this church stopped existing? Now, I know how I've answered that question in the past. Um, But how would you answer that question for yourself? What would be missing if this church didn't exist? For me, there's a few things. We would miss the opportunity to build a sacramental community. Somebody yesterday mentioned the phrase sacramental imagination, and I like that. Uh, We would miss this opportunity to create a sacramental community that forms people in really healthy rhythms um, of of what it means to be in Christ. Um, We are becoming something as a church. Second, we would miss the opportunity to show the love and the justice of God's kingdom to the area that we live, work, and play in in northern Virginia. Uh, All of us have these areas that we steward, that we're a part of. Are we engaged in those spaces? Is this church engaged in those spaces? And so I would love, as you um, head out today and think about uh, all sorts of things, uh, put one question in your mind. You know, what would be missing if this church ceased to exist? What would be missing for me, for others, for my neighborhood? And asking that framing question, I think, is really helpful when, it, and when we're thinking of keeping on track with the mission of the kingdom of God. I'd never want to become a church that divides over carpet color. Lord have mercy, right? Um, or, or some other non-essential issue, whatever that becomes. You know, we are on mission together in the kingdom of God. We are doing this together. I feel it when we have coffee together. I feel it when we do these formation groups together. I feel it when we worship together. I feel it every time I hand the body of Christ to you. Uh, we are on mission together. And in the kingdom of God. And so we're continuing this work of the kingdom 
that's been inaugurated at the baptism of Jesus of Nazareth. So there's also a deeply personal element to the Father's speech that each one of us, I think, should hold on to as an encouragement. If, if you've been here for a baptism, you will have seen our baptismal font, which is a beautiful um, pottery uh, font. Somebody's made it, it's handmade. Um, and next time we have a baptism, I want you to come forward and, and look at what's etched in it. Uh, anybody know what's etched in it? Anybody looked at it? Do you remember? No? It is Mark 111, uh, our passage from the gospel. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. That's actually etched into our baptismal font. And so when you were baptized into Christ, you were identified with him in his suffering and in his death and in his resurrection. And that has set you on a new trajectory. And you can hear this in St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Set your mind your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what God has spoken to Jesus on the day of his baptism, he has spoken to each one of us as well. I like the way that N.T. Wright paraphrases that, that little phrase. You are my dear, dear child. I am delighted with you. You are my dear, dear child. I am delighted with you. And I won't do this, but I had thought about kind of like walking down the row, putting your name in there, your name in there, your name in there. For the sake of time, I won't. But imagine with me if, if I had done that. And, and if we went person by person and we reminded each other that you are God's dear, dear child. With you, he is well pleased. That is the word at our baptism that has been spoken over each one of us and continues to be spoken over us every day since. You are my dear, dear child, and I am delighted with you. Now, depending on what you are going through today, that might really encourage you. For some of you, that might make you cry because you're desperately in need of that reminder. For some of you... That might cause frustration and anger, might well up a deep, um, something deep within you because there's a cognitive dissonance between God's love and the suffering that you're experiencing at the moment. Um, In any case, to remind ourselves of that truth does not leave us unchanged. And that's a helpful reminder. I think that's why it's important to remind ourselves of it. You cannot say those words to yourself and remain unchanged. Your heart interacts with it. You are my dear, dear child. I am pleased with you. And the reminder that God delights in us as his children forces us to grapple with the dissonance that we're feeling between the kingdom of God and the world that we're living in. And so I would encourage you to write that down somewhere and grapple with it every day. Baptism is what God has done to unite me to himself in the beloved. It's what he's done with you as well. So that he can speak over you. You are my dear, dear child and I am delighted with you. And so if I would learn to frame my days with that statement, then some days I might even actually start to believe it. And for the days that it creates cognitive dissonance, I still want to cling to it 
with the hope that who I'm becoming, who I am in the Lord is beloved. And what I put my hand to do is filled with kingdom significance. And so when you think of Jesus' baptism, remember that his rule and his reign is one of humility. It's one of justice. And it's one that brings people into union with God. Remember that in your baptism, God says to you, you are my dear, dear child, and I am delighted with you. Take some time this week to ask some of those missional framing questions. First, what would be missing if this church wasn't here? You can even ask other questions like, now how am I a part of that? Um, How am I living into the reality of what this church is asking me to become in Christ? You know, what would change if we reminded ourselves every day of God's um, pleasure with us as his children? And how would that frame our imagination for what God is doing in us and what he's doing in the world around us? Because it's hard to hold wrath against somebody in the church or or something else when when you remind yourself that, you know, so-and-so is God's dear, dear child. And he is pleased with them too. And so we need the right frame to live out the kingdom of God in mission every single day. As we we end this time focusing on the baptism of Christ, one of the things I wanted to do is um, read for you sort of as a prayer, one of St. Ephraim's, a stanza from his hymns on the nativity. There's a praise at the end that, is my concluding prayer. But as we think about this hymn, I just want to read this. You can close your eyes if you'd like to. But this is from a 4th century church father named St. Ephraim. He says, By my baptism, he's speaking as Jesus, the waters will be sanctified, receiving from me fire and the Holy Spirit. See the hosts of heaven hushed and still as the all-holy bridegroom goes down into the Jordan. No sooner is he baptized than he comes up from the waters, his splendor shining forth over the earth. The gates of heaven are opened, and the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All who are present stand in awe as they watch the Spirit descend to bear witness to him. O come, all you peoples, worship him. Praise to you, Lord, for your glorious epiphany, which brings joy to us all. The whole world has become radiant with the light of your glory. Amen.